guys, this is Leva Bates. This is Rich Bokini. This is Steve Young. Teddy Stigma, the world's worst role model. E-F-F-Y-F-E. This is Holiday. This is El Serpentigo. The princess of pro wrestling, SoCalVal. And we are the Ugly Ducklings. And you are listening to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole Reffin Show. And now... The wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. The whole Reffin Show. Hello, hashtag dear listeners, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another exciting episode, hopefully. Of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, that would have to be the whole ref and show. My name is Perry Smith. And my name is Darren Beasley. Episode 135, Darren. We are putting them away, aren't we? And I don't mean, I don't mean sodas. I don't mean Schweppes. Another Schweppes moment brought to you by Schweppes. Schweppes, a sparkling tradition since 1783. In fact, I'm putting more of those away as we uh, continue this episode right now. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a beer with my dinner tonight, and it was the first beer that I'd had in like 18 months. Wow. I'm, I'm just not a beer drinker. I, yeah, I'm not, uh, I, I do indulge in a beer every now and again, but like I'm finding it more often that like it's my birthday if I'm drinking. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe it's something I'm growing out of. I'm not saying I'm too cool for it, and if you drink beer, absolutely do it. Obviously, be responsible and be careful. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not. I, I drink a lot of beer. There was a time in my life where I put a few back, my friend. I was, you know, by no means an alcoholic, but I, I would enjoy a few beers. But now, like beer, just makes me feel full, and I'd rather just eat food to be full. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was. Uh, I was actually at my uh, cousin's house. Uh, she had uh, my mother and I over for dinner. It was a nice family gathering. Had a lovely home-cooked uh, hibachi-style uh, chicken dinner. And um, ha- and I had a few uh, Tecate oh. beers. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it was it was interesting. Hadn't had those, those beers in a long time. And Tecate beer really only means one thing to me. Um, it reminds me of when I was 18 and I went on a date with uh, a girl who it turns out was, was much older than I was. And I was not <laughs> not aware that she was quite that much older than me. Um, Darren, like, you sly minx, you. And uh, she was also not aware of the age difference. Uh, oh, no. Until, until we found ourselves uh, at a bar. Which this particular bar, as you may recall, I thought, I thought, uh, I thought, I thought you were going to say you were at a Denny's and she flashed her AARP card uh, for a <laughs> discount, and she was like, "Where's yours?" And you were like, Ugh. "Well, in terms of making me feel like a child, that's might as well be what happened." Because <laughs> uh, when they asked us what we were going, because I mean, this place had food, and like I had been there before to eat food. But as an 18-year-old, I had not been there to drink. And, uh, oh, my God. Yeah, wow. what a digression. But I, I have to I have to say, for her, she ordered a Tecate to drink. And I ordered a Pepsi. 
<laughs> and she said, oh, are you not drinking? And I said, no. And she goes, oh, do you not drink? And I said, well. I drink, I drink you. I was like, not in public. And she goes, what? And then it was quiet for a second. And then one of the songs that I played on the jukebox started playing. And then she said, how old are you? <laughs> and I said, this girl was my boss, by the way. What? This girl was my boss. At, uh, and, uh, and I said, uh, I'm 18. Well, it, 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 it didn't help that you played 18 by Alice Cooper. Uh, Darren, you kind of hit the, <laughs> the nail on the head there. She, she, she had no idea. She didn't hire me. Um, she wasn't my, the boss who hired me. She was just my, like my supervisor. So she didn't know how old I was. And, you know, I looked 19 when I was 14. So like, you know, 18, <laughs> I probably, you know, 18, I, I didn't really look 18. So anyway, when I said I was 18, she just put her hand to her forehead, um, and was like, oh, wow. Okay. Cool. Um, all right. Well, sorry. Did I, I mean, do you want to come here? I was like, this was my idea. Of course I wanted to come here. But <laughs> well, she like, I, you probably wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese, you child, yeah. you. I'm like, no, this is exactly where I wanted to come. I just can't order alcohol legally. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but anyway, so fast forward all these years later and I had, I had Tecate for my supper. Tonight. Nice, nice. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure the the, uh, the the listeners appreciated that peek behind the curtain. That uh, an adolescent Darren who looks like a uh, a grown man at the age of 14, and right now you are you are eyeing 40, and it means oh you, you look 60. I'll say it right now because look what I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But anyway, oh, folks. No, I I definitely had to pour some Tecate on the curb for. Uh, for your homie that ain't here no more. <laughs> For sweet Melissa. Oh, isn't that a isn't that a Almond Brothers song? It is an Almond Brothers oh, song. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> well, folks, once again, thank you for tuning in to the whole reference show. Uh, we got some, some wrestling headlines to talk about. Uh, some signees at Impact Wrestling. We don't talk about Impact uh, as, as much as we probably should. It seems, uh, but again, they're very hard to actually uh, catch on a weekly basis. Apparently, they're it, it, that's going to continue to be that way. Apparently, their TV deal fell through. Uh, oh my god! So yeah, that, that's not the headline. They got some new signees, uh, some names you're going to find very, very familiar. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but the biggest headline, of course, this week would have to be the fact that we lost a true legend in the world of wrestling. Uh, King Harley Race has passed away. We're going to talk a bit about Harley Race and his legacy and uh, what he means to the wrestling community. Of course, outpouring on Twitter and all social media. Poor Harley Race. It's really that. I mean, I, I obviously I would not say the the cool thing about someone passing away, but uh, the what I find interesting is whenever someone like this passes away, someone who is somewhat of a a, a figure in the uh, in the profession of professional wrestling, uh, you get all these great stories of you know what what people mean to wrestlers. In a lot of cases, it's like you know this actually happened to me when I met Harley Race, you know. So it, it's kind of cool reading about that on uh, on Twitter. Beyond that, uh, Darren Beasley has quite a bit to say about the latest Fest Wrestling outing, Xmas in July 3. Ah, but I will not be alone. 
You will not be alone. That's right. Because you're going to be with me. That's right. I'll be with you. And for good measure, we're going to add someone else to our little, I want to say roundtable discussion, our, our three-way discussion. Uh, we're bringing along Fest Wrestling favorites. Ring announcer Charles Volkertz is going to be on our show. He's going to help Darren recount the gory, uh, bloody, sometimes bloody details, but always fun details of the latest Fest Wrestling outing. That's right. It is not a round table. It is a triangle table, and uh, it, it, yes. it's, it's shaped like those. It's shaped like those uh, those intelligence tests at Cracker Barrel. Oh my God! What what what's the? Uh, Here we go. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> like ignoramus and ignoramus. That's right. There ignoramus. You go. All right, all right, all right. There it is. Yeah. So um, we're not going to play that. We are. Uh, we are. No, but we are uh, going to have an interesting triangle table discussion uh, with uh, Charles Volker. A, a puppy by any other name would be just as sweet. S- sweet, sweet Charles. <laughs> he is a sweetheart. And uh, you guys have got a lot to say about Fest Wrestling. And I can't wait to hear it, but we can't get into Fest Wrestling, Darren. There's an order to this show, believe it or not. First, we got to talk about them. Headlines. Rhino. Not finished with the world of professional wrestling, even though we bid him a fond farewell many episodes ago. And since then, he's even appeared in a WWE ring in a wrestling capacity. Uh, still shaking our heads at that one. Uh, Stupid, stupid. Well, apparently he is uh, going to Impact Wrestling and uh, signing a, a deal that's going to uh, span a couple of years. And he's not alone. Tennille Dashwood, a.k.a. Emma, also doing the same thing. So Impact Wrestling, uh, poor Impact Wrestling. They, they get kind of uh, lost in the in the shuffle, don't they? Later on, we're talking about Jordan Grace, uh, who is currently uh, gamefully employed by Impact Wrestling. And uh, we don't talk about Impact because everyone's talking about AEW and WWE, and New Japan Pro Wrestling, and and tend to forget about Impact Wrestling, unfortunately. But uh, they are there, and there's uh, obviously some some big supporters, big fans of Impact Wrestling. And uh, maybe even more to be gained now that Rhino and Steel Dashwood are part of the Impact Wrestling family. Well, as far as Impact being left out of a lot of conversations, uh, they were the only other conversation for more than 10 years maybe even 15 years they were the only other conversation besides vince mcmahon's monopoly game and so the fact that they've fallen off a little bit i mean don't feel bad for them don't pity them they are exactly where they put themselves and you know relocation uh, change in ownership, change in name, change in outlook, style, perspective, number of sides to the ring. Uh, any way you slice and dice the M.O. of the artist formerly known as Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, uh, it's just a problematic company. And these days, with its deliberate downsizing, its relocation, its change in management, and its almost impossible to find on television product um they have fallen to the like a distant fifth 
conversation because there are more than two conversations now and they're just not one of them. And um, nevertheless, when you talk about people like Rhino and Tennille Dashwood signing with them and a star that gets a lot of chatter like Jordan Grace already being signed with them, you wonder out loud, we, we wonder out loud on this show why the hell isn't Impact a player anymore? Why are they so left behind? They have a product that's worth watching. I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you fix that if you're in Impact, period. I certainly don't know how you do it in the age of AEW. Um, especially when there's, uh, I, as I understand it, to be little to no cooperation between the two. That being said... Rhino is just as confounding as any of this because, like you said, the fact that we bid him farewell and reti happy retirement, not only from the WWE, but what we believed was his professional wrestling career a year ago, probably, and he not only continued to wrestle at house shows and then later appear on WWE television and has now signed a multi-year deal with Impact, it just tells me somebody, some sneaky Pete, has been reporting false information, or Rhino just can't seem to hang up the boots. Um, as mysterious and unknown as this might be, the cool part of it is the angle that they've been playing up, where they had somebody disguised as Rhino attacking people on impact in the past few weeks while Rhino was still under contract with WWE. Now that seems like some old late nineties, Eric Bischoff trickery where he's trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes and say that a WWE employee is in fact competing or at least appearing on his company's programming. So I say two thumbs up to that choice with Impact for Rhino. And now that he's actually there, the angle pay, it, it, it pays off. And sure. that's cool. Sure. Um, there may be some sort of agreement. There's some sort of handshake agreement between Impact and WWE. We just saw Rob Van Dam appear, who is signed by Impact Wrestling, appear on the reunion show for Raw. Um, so it could possibly even have been Rhino <laughs> very well uh, making appearances on Impact Wrestling even then. Uh, who's to say? Well, I guess they know for sure. But, no, it, it does seem like some very, I guess we can say old school now because NWO was, you know, over 20 years ago now, which hurts my heart to say that. Um, so, yeah, Rhino is there now. That's very cool. Hopefully that just means you'll get the goodness of Rhino in your company, which obviously you will if he's used correctly, of course. Don't make him champion overnight. Don't do that. And Neil Dashwood still has uh, quite a bit of fame coming off that, you know, WWE uh, that life she was living. Uh, we don't talk about the Emelina stuff. That was horribly botched. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, that's only positive things. These are both great. These are two great acquisitions to uh, the Impact Wrestling roster. Uh, the only problem is how do you solve a problem like Impact Wrestling, which, to its credit, has existed for a very long time. Unfortunately, it's had its name dragged through the mud for most of those years. And that might be the problem with Impact is they can't do anything new because there's nothing new about Impact Wrestling. Um, but that could change. They can get uh, some great TV deal and just start putting on some wonderful programming and putting on good matches. And and there are still great matches. And you should definitely uh, you sh definitely should not count on Impact Wrestling. I never do. 
And I really wish if I if I had easy access to it, uh, I know I'd be watching it. So I wish all these wrestling companies, any any company that is putting out the product that I love to watch and that this uh, this podcast is built upon, I wish all those companies the very best because it's more jobs for hungry workers and it's more possibility for entertaining matches and stories and visuals uh, and just happenings for uh, us wrestling fans. So um, good luck to, to Neil Dashwood and Rhino. Uh, Rhino, you, you know what that company's like. You've been there multiple times before. Um, so let's see what happens. In not-so-happy um, news, um, it, it, it's time again on the whole Reffin show for Perry and I to unfortunately report on the passing of a wrestling legend. And this is a legend among legends. Uh, this man is one of only six wrestlers that belongs to the WWE Hall of Fame, the NWA Hall of Fame, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, and the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Of course, we are referring to Harley Race, the eight-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. This man was a, a terror in the 1970s. This man who debuted in 1960 and did not retire until 1991, though he did not disappear from wrestling. No, he did not. No, no. The uh, the king, Harley Race, um, famously uh, from Missouri, has passed away at the age of 76. Um, after many years of poor health um, and now a, uh, a prolonged battle with lung cancer, um, Harley Race has passed on, passing away on August the 1st. He was 76 years old. Now... Perry, you were talking to me off the air about um, you know, some of the outpouring of, um, of grief. And then you mentioned at the top of the show about uh, some stories and how these people relate to the legacy and the impact of someone like Harley Race. Um, that's undeniable. Sure, sure. No, uh, uh, most of these most of the stories are like, you know, Harley gave me some really good advice this one time or... I think Matt Cross uh, mentioned a story on Twitter about uh, he, he had done a match and Harley was kind of watching from the back and he asked Harley like how the match was and Harley said something along the lines of that's about as good as a match can get. Um, so obviously boosting, you know, the uh, boosting the esteem of one Matt Cross, who is one of the great wrestlers uh, out there. I definitely say that. Um, there's a story that someone mentioned about Owen Hart going to one of Harley Race's barbecues. And uh, putting in a few bottles of very hot sauce into uh, his his uh, I guess stew maybe, and uh, of course ripping him there. And, and Harley Race got revenge by meeting him at the next WWF event and uh, hitting him with a taser. Uh, so there's <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stuff. I mean, one one of the things you hear about Harley Race as a wrestling fan all throughout the years is apparently Harley Race legitimately tough. Like, he's one of the, the toughest dudes uh, that ever stepped into the, the squared circle, like, legitimately tough. And, you know, obviously wrestlers can pretend to be tough, you know, if that's their, their gimmick. 
you know, or that's their ego they're trying to put out there. But a lot of people would kind of be like, oh, Harley Race, no, he's actually tough. Like, they would go out of the way to be like, no, he's he's the real deal. Um, so, unfortunately, when, when wrestling kind of was big as far as TV goes, like WWF uh, started hitting television, WCW, Harley Race was more of a, uh, a manager role managing uh, Big Van Vader for uh, quite a while in WCW. Um, he, he definitely had a presence in WWF. Um, I just watched, uh, what is it? The, the big event, uh, WWF uh, show, which was, was big. I think it set like some sort of attendance record for the time it came out. But so he was in the earlier days of WWF being televised. He was kind of around in wrestling capacity. He would wrestle a bit later on, definitely later than he should have wrestled. Um, just because he obviously could not put on the type of match that he was capable of putting it on years before. Um, but uh, always a presence, always around. If you're a wrestling fan, if you're at least a casual wrestling fan, you know that name, uh, Harley Race. And, you know, NWA days, Harley Race was there as well. So, I mean, if you go back and watch the, the golden years, a.k.a. the old stuff, if you will, the old school, Harley Race was definitely around uh, and definitely uh, made an impact and definitely was a presence. And he will be missed. That presence will be missed from the wrestling world. Absolutely. Like you said, talking about old school, uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, um, tops in wrestling journalism for decades and decades, named Harley Race versus Dory Funk Jr. the match of the year in 1973. Whoa. He would again have the match of the year in 1979 against Dusty Rhodes. Again in 1983, 10 years after the first time, this time against Ric Flair. Um, he was the wrestler of the year two times for PWI. I mean, this guy held belts everywhere. All Japan pro wrestling, the AWA, he was three time AWA world tag team champions with Larry, the act Hennig championship wrestling from Florida. I mean, he was a Florida tag team champion three times, Southern heavyweight champion, U S heavyweight champion. He was the end. He was the first ever NWA United States champion um, in Georgia Championship Wrestling. He was a Georgia heavyweight champion um, as well as a tag team champion. And you know those aren't even his main. Those aren't even his main stomping grounds. And yet he held multiple titles over many years. Uh, also being recognized by Japanese publications, Tokyo Sports Magazine naming his match with Jumbo Saruta in 1978 match of the year. Um, you know, and in addition to the, all the uh, more prestigious, uh, acclaimed, and uh, well-tenured halls of fame that he was in, he also uh, exists in several other halls of fame that uh, didn't necessarily amount to much. While they seemed like a big deal at the time, like the WCW Hall of Fame, um, it was more of what the WWE Hall of Fame is these days, which is just recognizing the career of someone, even if it wasn't in that um, organization. But, you know, he, he's in the Stampede Wrestling Hall of Fame, the St. Louis Wrestling Hall of Fame. Even all of that is just a fraction of the recognition that he had in the forms of championships, trophies, uh decisions, rankings, uh, halls of fame. I mean, all of that for what the man did inside of a squared circle 
and then you learn about how tough he was. You hear you hear that his name mentioned like among three people. Harley Race, Haku, and Ron Simmons. And it's like, don't mess with those guys. The end. Yeah, like the, the they're the ones you don't actually rib. You don't pull jokes on them because they will actually beat the crap out of you. <laughs> well, th- these guys, these are incredible. You know, Harley Race, he's an incredible performer. He's an incredible wrestler, an incredible fighter, a mic worker, a presence, a wrestling mind. Um, and the fact that he was such a good friend and a mentor to so many other people meant he was a good person. He was a good teacher. He knew how to share, what to share, when to share it. I mean, this is the absolute epitome of a wrestling legend. Um, and, you know, I guess it's unfortunate that it takes someone's death uh, for us to spotlight them in, the, in such a particular fashion as we are at this moment. But, I mean, that's just how we do things. That's Not, not just we, that's how human beings do things. So, um, if we've never spent enough time talking about Harley Race, I certainly hope that these few minutes uh, show... Uh, our listeners, not only our respect for Harley Race, but uh, the uh, enormous amount of accolades gathered by this man in his career. Um, it's its really stunning. And uh, 76, not a bad age for a wrestler. Um, I know that Harley lived and partied uh, as hard as anyone else, and uh, yet he also got to enjoy uh, a long life. Absolutely. And, you know, go back to all of his accolades and achievements and awards and, and trophies. And, you know, these are, these are superficial measurements for the most part, a trophy. He, uh, he earned a lot of respect from the uh, entire wrestling community. And, and that's something that you, you know, that, that's not, not up for debate. So all I can say is Harley race, well, respect to the wrestling world. We bid you a very fond farewell and best, uh, best wishes to the uh, the friends and family of one Harley Race, King Harley Race, forever and ever. But with that, uh, we're gonna look back on the happier happier goings ons. Uh, this past Sunday in Gainesville, Florida, was another fest wrestling show. It had been quite a while since the one prior. Yeah, this is probably the longest gap ever between fest wrestling shows. I, I, just, I think I said this last week. I, I didn't think I was going to make it, but I did make it. Yay. Um, oh, and even worse was when I started to kind of not feel so great. And I thought that I literally personally was not going to make it to the show. Thought I was going to be sick in the bed. Um, boy, was I glad that that passed and I didn't miss it. I don't want to know what happens if you and I both don't make it to a fest wrestling show. How do we do the review show? We just gotta look at all the all the Twitter videos and Facebook stuff and Instagram stuff and just wing it. I guess I'm kidding. We would never do that. And we also have backup <laughs> plans because we know quite a few fest wrestling personnel that can uh, definitely keep an eye on things and give us their side of the story. In fact. We've done just that this week, folks. We have ourselves a special guest to help Darren break down the goings-on at Fest Wrestling. So let's get into it. Darren's review of Fest Wrestling, Xmas in July 3. <laughs> Coming from the other side of darkness, this is Holiday, and you're listening to the only podcast that calls it right down the middle of the whole reppin' show. <laughs> 
It was this past Sunday. It was the 28th of July, 2019. It was Fest Wrestling's Xmas in July 3 from the 8 Seconds Bar and Saloon in beautiful Hogtown. That's right, downtown Gainesville, Florida. I was there. Perry Smith, who's joining me at this time, was not there. I was not. I was not. But second best thing, we have an eyewitness account, Darren. (laughs) That's true. We have one of the Fest family, one of the Fest faithful, the voice of 8 Seconds. The Fest Wrestling ring announcer, Charles Volkert, joining us on the whole Ruffin show. Welcome, sweet Charles. Good evening, gentlemen. How y'all doing? Well, doing well. Excellent. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yes. Absolutely. It is our pleasure. Believe me, it is our pleasure. The pleasure is all ours. Uh, we are going to talk about Xmas in July 3. And it's going to be very exciting to hear your perspective. This is the first time you've been on the whole Ruffin show. Uh, we've known you for a long time. Uh, we've 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 been buddies. We've chatted quite a bit over the last couple of years. But to actually have you on the show, I can't wait to hear your perspective on the show that was. It's uh, it's definitely going to be fun going from a dear listener to a, a commentator here. Uh, giving my perspective and definitely being able to give my two cents on the show because it was every show seems to outdo itself and I don't know how we do it. That's for damn sure. Every fast wrestling show tops the last. I can attest to that. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for your perspective too as you shift from hashtag dear listener to hashtag friend of the show. (laughs) We dub the hashtag friend of the show. I humbly Uh, accept this honor. (laughs) Outstanding. So, uh, yeah, well, you know what? Because it is the first time you've ever been on the show, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions uh, just right off the top before we even get into the meat and potatoes of these matches. Um, How did you get started with Fest Wrestling? Uh, Leon Scott. Leon, uh, Leon at the time was a friend of mine. He said, hey, I'm getting involved in this project. Um. And essentially, I just weaseled my way in the back door, um, was there to help set up the ring, get everything going. Uh, he kind of pushed me towards Tony a little bit, saying, hey, this guy's got a voice. Uh, I did one match, I want to say, uh, the very first Bring Your Mom. It was a triple threat. And from there, I think that was Kid Cadet's last show. And then I took on half the duties. And then uh, Jake, who was... Uh, Kid Cadet's original partner ended up backing out for some reason, and you guys are stuck with me now. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, you say um, you say Tony, obviously referring to Tony Weinbender, the uh, promoter, yes. owner of Fest Wrestling. Uh, yeah, I forgot about the Kid Cadet announcing days. That was back in the beginning. I forgot all about her because when I think of ring announcing at Fest Wrestling, I only think of you, Charles. Well, that is... Uh... I'm at a loss for words for that, honestly. Oh, <laughs> hey, man. I, 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 I would have it no other way. I would have it no other way. Um, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're at Fest Wrestling. Uh, again, you're, you're someone that we always look forward to seeing uh, before the shows, during the shows, after the show. And now on our show, uh, we snaked you away from Tony Weinbender. Um, <laughs> I like that when you went into your story about how you got involved in Fest Wrestling, you mentioned uh, your at that time friend Leon Scott, as if you guys are no longer, <laughs> no longer friends. <laughs> I like that. 
Yeah, he and I uh, unfortunately don't speak as often as we used to um, through n- no reasoning other than just life. Sure. Um, but he's definitely the one that got me involved. He, uh, funny story, the reason I met, the way I met him, he was dressed up as Doink the Clown. Okay. <laughs> to- uh, totally. If you said anyone else was, uh, no, Leon Scott is someone who, who cosplays quite a bit. So that makes total sense. Yeah. He, uh, he pulled off an epic Doink the Clown and I had to do a double take and go and introduce myself to this person. And, uh, very intimidating because I, you know, Doink the Clown is scary, obviously, <laughs> on his own. Uh, but when you get a guy like Leon Scott portraying him, uh, it's double terrifying. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I just want to echo Perry's sentiment, like, no disrespect whatsoever to Kid Cadet, because I remember being very excited about her inclusion in Fest Wrestling. But, Charles, man, you have done a... Uh, a fantastic job of making us forget about Kid Cadet because when I think fast wrestling ring announcing, I only think sweet, sweet Charles. So. <laughs> well, again, thank you very much. Uh, she definitely was a huge benefit to me as well, teaching me a few of the ins and outs, giving me a few tips, at, at, even with my one match that I did. Um, I owe a lot to her. He's humble too, Darren. Very humble. <laughs> <laughs> no, but regardless of when, whether uh, you know we knew you or not, I on uh, what Kid Cadet was doing or what you had yet to do, I knew that you were serious business the first time I saw you, which was actually at the uh, Martin Luther King Center in Gainesville, Florida, at an NXT house show. Uh, uh, please don't bring this up. Perry, <laughs> no, Perry and I were standing outside talking with Leon Scott, um, and I think that was when we met Leon, maybe, or maybe the second time we'd met Leon, and we saw that you had made Fest Wrestling neckties, and I was like, oh shit, that's some next level, that's some next level stuff right there. I was like, I mean, I like Fest Wrestling. I mean, I'm standing here talking to Tony Weinbender. I like Fest Wrestling. But this dude's got fast wrestling neckties. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the record, I thought you were going to bring up something else that I did at an NXT live event. So, oh, no. Self-incrimination there. Um, <laughs> but, no, the, uh, the neckties were... Uh, that was right at the infancy of discussing me as a possible ring announcer. And I'm a big guy. Um, and it's very hard to find suits like full suits for me. Uh, also I, you know, I'm not rich enough to buy a full suit. Should I find one? <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to have like a signature look and I knew I had a black dress shirt. I knew I had black pants, uh, but I wanted something unique. And so I went and designed the tie that you see me wear pretty much every event black with just that pop of white of the fest logo. And I thought it was a, a spin on a, it's my own classic look. Nice, very nice. But you mentioned uh, a potentially embarrassing story, Charles. We'll need the we'll, we'll need the, we'll need to hear that story right now. Yeah, I knew I incriminated myself. So, uh, <laughs> so the first uh, NXT show that I went to uh, there at the Martin Luther King Center uh, with my little brother Austin, who's part of the ring crew at Fest, we went there. 
it was an amazing show. It was the first time we'd ever been to, like I said, an NXT show. And it was the return of Mojo Rawley. He, it was his first match back after shoulder surgery. He was facing off against Ty Dillinger and, or sorry, Sean Spears now. That's right. That's right. And Mojo's going through his normal party boy gimmick. He's uh, saying, you know, I get more chicks than you. You get no chicks. And he's going through this for a solid, you know, two, three minutes with Ty. And I looked at Austin and said, all right, if it gets silent again, I'm going to do something stupid. (laughs) It's a good start. And so he says, what's that? And sure enough, Mojo says again, you get no chicks to tie. Mojo is sitting up on the top turnbuckle with the microphone in hand. The building goes completely silent, and I've I've got to be a man of my word. So I jumped up and I yelled, hey, Ty, I get more chicks than you do. <laughs> Me, big bearded man, jumps up, yells this. Um Mojo just loses his shit, jumps down (laughs) off the top rope, runs down, shoves a microphone into my face. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. And so I yell it again into the microphone. Uh, Ty does the whole, you know, get security, get him out of here. Uh, Mojo wins the match, comes over, gives me a giant hug, says this is the best thing ever. (laughs) And ironically enough, uh, going back to my involvement with Fest Wrestling, I get home that night and I posted something on Facebook uh, saying, you know, I cut a six-word promo on a live WWE microphone. Like, that's a bucket list item I didn't even know I had. Nice. <laughs> and Leon comes up and says, who knows, maybe one day you could actually work in this industry. Hey. And so back in, we go back and forth and I'm like, yeah, right. Never going to happen. And here we are four years later, five years later, something like that. Hell yeah, man. That That is awesome. Two, uh, two NXT live shows, both involving ties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad that it was good. That's awesome. All right. So I promised we would talk about Christmas in July, so let's talk about it. The show starts off really strong. We've got a six-person tag match. The Carnies taking on the team of Treehouse Lee and Johnny Vandal, joined by Kylan King, who was replacing an absent Jamie Senegal. Now, by the Carnies, of course, we mean Nick Iggy, Kerry Awful, and Trip Cassidy, the three-man version. I'm, I'm going to say right off the bat, this was an extremely hard-hitting match. I mean, incredibly high impact. The power bombs, power bombs, power bombs, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, Kylan King, what a showing for her. Uh, you talk about the Queen of Crazy, and you think back to what she did at uh, Pickle in the Tree, and you think back to this, and I mean, just tossing the carnies around and even getting tossed around by them. She took a beating. She brought it to him. Treehouse Lee with the high flying uh, vandal. I mean, he's a Jack of all trades. This match definitely has the potential to be like a main event anywhere else. And here we are having it to just kick off the show. 
No, for sure. Um, like I think it was, I think it was Nick Iggy who managed to really chop the chest of of Kylan King, and I was just, yeah. damn, it was like really intense. But other than those chops, Kylan completely dominated Nick Iggy in this match. Like she had his number. Yeah, she definitely did. It seemed like every time Nick Iggy was trying to get a step ahead, she was showing that she was two and three steps ahead of that. Um, clearly, she did her homework, which is really impressive given how short notice she had on that match. Yeah, you got to feel bad for the Carnies because they pr- are prepared for Jamie Senegal. They maybe have a strategy for you know Jamie Senegal being part of the the threesome they got to go up against. But instead, Senegal's a no-show. Kylan King, who has to fill in the shoes of Jamie Senegal, which is not easy to do, by the way, uh, is instead the person that jumps in. She's a bruiser. She really is. Uh, that's a that's a tough lady. <laughs> that's just a tough person in general. Um, but I wonder how I, I do wonder how she got along with the likes of Treehouse Lee and Johnny Vandal. Like, how was that? How was that tag team synergy going, fellas? Um, it's one of those things where. I don't want to use the term tag team match here because they definitely had almost like a Lucha rules uh, vibe to it. There was, I honestly don't remember a single tag being made in the match. They were just so high paced, so out there with everything that they were doing. There was no lull in the action. And like I said, bodies were everywhere, chops being thrown. It was insanity in the best way possible it's rare you get an actual uh tag format uh tag match at fest wrestling so that, that's that's no surprise that's no surprise at all i mean tony uh tony weinbetter says it best we play fast and loose with the rules um the wrestlers definitely take advantage of that sometimes but it, it always produces such amazing quality matches. We got to appreciate when the guy in charge says, let's play it fast and loose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this match definitely uh, fell uh, into those parameters because with six people in this match and no tag format really to speak of, despite the fact that I feel like Treehouse, Kylan and Johnny kind of, kind of dominated, it really was, like beautiful chaos there for a little while because you cannot discount the, the work of the carnies when all three of them are out there and they're just running like it's almost like watching a basketball team where it's like they're not actually calling plays oh wait shit yes they are that's sort of like watching the carnies fight as a three-person unit it's like wow there are so many steps ahead of me that i don't even see the blueprint but it's there the Carnies are definitely, um, to use your analogy, like our version of the Harlem Globetrotters. You look <laughs> at it, you, you see them having fun. You don't know whether you're going to get water or confetti tossed at you. Um, but it, they are all business when that bell rings. And it, it's easy to get distracted by the antics. But every last thing they do is meant to hurt their opponent and get that win. Absolutely. Uh, the Carnies uh, are the Harlem Globetrotters. Unfortunately, Treehouse Lee, Johnny Vandal, and Kylan King are no Washington Generals. Uh, and so I guess they actually take the victory in this match? That is correct. They did. Um, I can't, I want to say uh, Kylan got the pin. I can't remember, honestly. Uh, the, the finish was so... Um, I mean, it was 
it was it was decisive and it was abrupt, but it really got overshadowed because all of a sudden, one by one, Vandal plants a big one on each member of the carnies one at a time before kissing all of them at the same time. <laughs> Vandal, and, what is going on with you, buddy? <laughs> I, Johnny Vandal has jumped into the deep end. He really has. I don't know what Jamie has brought out of Vandal, but I like it. To be honest, I'm a little bit upset that I wasn't included on the kissing at the end. <laughs> um, when Ky- I, I made a point when Kylan was announced as uh, Jamie's replacement uh, at the previous show, she had uh, kissed me and Trip Cassidy kissed me. I want to say at we are family last year. Uh, so I had been kissed by 33% of that match, and I was trying to get it up to 50%, uh, but Vandal <laughs> just was not having it. Uh, well, maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> that, that's all fine and good as long as Trip keeps his mouthpiece out of your mouth. Uh, it's, different, uh, it's a different thing. Yeah, completely different. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like, a, I like a good kiss and all, but, I mean, I don't share dental floss, so... I don't want to share. I don't want to share a mouth guard either. You save a fortune though by sharing dental floss, Darren. <laughs> That's true. My dental floss budget is way, way in the red. I've, I've uh, seen. I've seen the the graph that you made with your dental dental floss spending. Yeah, and by the way, by saying that my dental floss budget is in the red, it's not because I have bloody gums. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, you took it there. You took it there. It's just in my ledger. My ledger. My ledger, not my Heath ledger. Um, speaking of twisted clowns. Okay, so next up, Darius Lockhart, uh, the revolutionary, took on that dastardly slithering snake Serpentico, and in a singles match, a straight up one on one, mono and mono, head to head, head to head match between Darius Lockhart and Serpentico, and uh, Serpentico is. Is is truly a dastardly slithering snake. He is he's a serpent creeping on his belly. He is, you know, Serpentico is one of those guys that I just can't get a grasp on. Every time he came out with streamers attached to his hands, and I'm thinking, okay, this is a new leaf. Normally, he's out there with the middle fingers and everything. And sure enough, as soon as he took the streamers off of his hand, out come the middle fingers. <laughs> uh, so two-headed snake. You know what was really like, I mean, okay, so at one point he takes Darius Lockhart out of the ring and he moves over toward the, the railing, the wooden railing that forms sort of the, the backbone of that ringside best family. And he gets Lockhart on one side of it and he goes over to the other to yank uh, Lockhart's arm through, um, either to hold it in place while he breaks his fingers, or perhaps he's trying to break his arm on the wooden beams. I don't know exactly what, other than that can't be good. But I'll tell you what was really not good was the <laughs> was the old, uh, easily disgusted man. That was sit- sitting on a stool right next to where Serpentico was. This man came unglued when Serpentico <laughs> yanks Lockhart's arm through the 
through the wooden beams. Uh, <laughs> Charles, did you see this? I did not see this. I wish I had. Yeah, there was. I would man, love to have seen that. This man, I was watching this man. He was. I think he brought his son, um, uh, and they were they were part of the VIP crew. But so they were there kind of early, um, and I was just you know people watching as I normally do, and I could tell pretty early on that this man was teetering between I'm having the time of my life and I'd rather be anywhere else than here. And I mean that, like he genuinely felt both ways <laughs> depending on which way the wind was blowing. Well, when Serpentico blew the wind in this dude's face, this dude got up off his bench like he was about to put Serpentico six feet fucking under. And like, I was scared for the... <laughs> No, I'm serious. Serpentico ends up like turning away from the guy and like quickly moving back toward the ring. And he points, he points at the dude and referee Frank Gastineau goes over to the guy. And I don't know what he said, but I was like, this is, this is going to get ugly. And this would not be the only time this night that something like this happens. Correct. Yeah. Um, I really wish I could have seen that book. Oh man, I it was good. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> no, it was it was good. Like, you know, Fest Family is always is, is is so loving. It is so um, you know, inclusive and it's just like a lot of times being at a Fest wrestling show is like being in a group hug for 3 to 5 hours. Um, so in a weird way and this doesn't seem like it would be a good thing. But in a weird kind of good way, it was neat to see some shit go down. It was like, oh, no, like, you know, because it's not what you what you've gotten used to. You're used to like, you know, fans just living and dying by the ring action and crying and cheering and hugging each other. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, is this wrestler about to get attacked by this man? Like, so that was pretty <laughs> But um, back to the ring, uh, Serpentico didn't have to fight this man, but he did have to fight Darius Lockhart. And Lockhart attempts to win this match multiple times via submission. And Serpentico is able to get loose for the most part. Um, but, I mean, I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what you call the move. Lockhart eventually gets both legs to hold back both of Serpentico's arms. And I was like, it was like, oh, what's happening here? Then it felt like it snapped like a tree branch. Yeah, the uh, the comparison that one of my friends made about that was uh, similar to when Brock Lesnar was breaking people's arms with the Kimura lock. Um, it was just that one instant push uh, with Lockhart when he, you know, cinched his legs together with Serpentico's arms behind his back. And as soon as it happened, you knew that the match was over. Whether Serpentico gave up or not, you knew this match was over. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, uh, so big win for Darius Lockhart. Um, I know that the Fest family embraces Lockhart. Everybody wants to be a revolutionary. A lot of fists in the air. You know, there are a lot of people are, are very pro Darius Lockhart. And so good for him, I think, taking this victory over Serpentico. Well, it's kind of the, the spirit of Fest, right? I mean, kind of like, you know, punk rock and and damn the man and, uh, you know, rebels at heart and all that stuff and anti-establishment. And you have this revolutionary character, you know, Darius Lockhart in there. 
you, you can't help but cheer for him because you're kind of like, yeah, you're right. You're right, buddy. I'm with you. Well, along those lines, he's also facing arguably the biggest dick in Fest Wrestling. <laughs> that helps. That helps. That helps. So, yes. I mean, we could have put anybody in there and probably, you know, they would have been cheered by everybody in that building. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, both both men are so insanely talented um, and both showed some real elements to their game that I wasn't aware of. Uh, Darius with the physicality, he's normally got a lot of the, the technician stuff. I see the submissions out of him. Uh, he's very calculated. Uh, Serpentico, obviously the loose cannon hitting the super kick on the ring apron, uh, trying to take off Lockhart's head with a chair while he was, uh, propped up on the apron. Uh, but then Serpentico bringing out the submission game, trying to counter Darius, uh, was shocking to me, but in hindsight, it really shouldn't be. I mean, both of these men easily can be the flagship of any promotion in the world. That, that's the I nicest. Myself. That's these, the these nicest are... we can be about Serpentico. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the nicest I'll be. Otherwise, fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Well, hey, love Serpentico or hate him, there's no denying his talent. I mean, you, you, you just all you have to do is watch a single match. Then if you are like the three of us and we've watched many, many, many matches, there's truly no denying what that man's capable of. Well, we've got two more tag team matches before the intermission, the first of which will be Fabulous Fitness finally, finally getting the opportunity to fight in a sanctioned match in a fest wrestling ring at eight seconds in Gainesville against the, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to say it, the terrorists known as the Metro Brothers. That's right. They are domestic terrorists, and they pose a clear and present danger to fabulous fitness, and I defy anybody to tell me differently. Do they also pose a, uh, a Patriot Games as well? Uh, clear and present danger and the other ones? I don't know. <laughs> I don't Something, something Jack Clancy, right? Is it Correct. Jack Clancy? Uh... <laughs> No, no, Tom Clancy. The, the, character's Tom name Clancy. Is, the character's name is Jack Ryan, right? There That's you go. right. There we go, okay. Isn't John Krasinski playing Oh Jack my Ryan? god, stop confusing us. <laughs> but he is, but he is. Correct, correct, yes. There are way too many names going around right now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and none of them are wrestlers. So, uh, Metro Brothers. Um, I, I think there's no denying that... Uh, Based on the past six months, the interaction between these, these two teams in Gainesville alone, um, and on paper, the Metros look like a pretty tall order to, to be defeated by Fabulous Fitness. Um, I, know, I mean, I can't be alone in that thought. No, definitely not. The Metro brothers are... As much as I hate to say it, I mean, they almost feel like the perfect tag team. They've got the size, they've got the attitude, they've got that mean streak, and of course, being brothers doesn't hurt. They've got that chemistry built in. Um, they know what each other is, are, is thinking, and it's evident every time they step into that ring. Uh, they've come up short against Fabulous Fitness in the past. Uh, their mean streaks have come out as a result. But it's one of those things where 
I don't want to see them get too mean because they're that much more dangerous to the entire fest wrestling tag team division. Yeah, the the thing uh, the thing is that they you said it yourself with the their skill and they're working together. It's a it's a very certain type of precision uh, that the the term dovetail comes to mind because every action that one of them one of the metros takes, it's like I mean it's it just works. It fits, it fits perfectly, and yeah, and it it doesn't take anything away from the chemistry, the obvious chemistry that uh, Kahuna Khan and Kiki Roberts have with Fabulous Fitness, but there you cannot beat that brother connection right so this is a no dq match and uh and it should have been and it was um one of the infamous doors of fest wrestling uh ends up getting put onto the stage up to the to i guess stage right of the entrance uh there at eight seconds and the kahuna gets thrown through this door and he seems down and out for a long time. It's it's when they get back in the ring and double team Kahuna that I really began to get concerned. Kahuna, when he went through that door, I mean, just such a sickening thud from his body hitting the wall behind the door and then slamming to the, the stage underneath it, uh, sitting right in front of it, it was I mean, ultimate cringe moment for me. Uh, gave me flashbacks, honestly, to when Jason Cade kicked me and I hit the floor. Um, I but it, it's, it was one of those things where we were definitely concerned for him because we kept looking back. I'm trying to keep an eye on the action, uh, but I'm also looking back at him, and he's just not moving. And then somehow... I don't know if maybe he had a dream about a Twinkie or something, and it gave him an extra second wind. He finds his way into the ring, and it's it's also again one of those situations where if I would have had a towel, I would have jumped up and been so tempted to throw it in for him uh, because being in the ring in that state against two guys as dangerous as the Metros, it's a recipe for disaster. It really is, or it really was. I mean, it was, you know, this is, we, we almost sound hypothetical here, but this really happened. Kahuna uh, ends up face down again, uh, this time in the ring. And what is the official, you know, as the ring announcer, what was the official decision here? Uh, it's a no DQ match, but it seemed almost like the call was a referee stoppage. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Kahuna was in the was in a Boston crab by one of the metros. Um, I can't tell them apart. And <laughs> the other one was defiantly in his face, yelling, tap out, give up. Uh, Kahuna responded by slapping him and flipping, flipping him off, uh, which hindsight, not the best idea. Uh, so the, while still locked in the Boston crab, the other metro uh, came up and punted Kahuna in the head, and it was an instant knockout. Uh, the ref jumped in. Ref Lee, I think, was in this match. Uh, he jumped down and instantly knew Kahuna was done, so he had to stop that match. I, I found myself a little curious, well, a lot curious and a little more than concerned. I was very concerned 
when the, he just Kahuna Khan just stayed down and stayed down, and by the and he's still down as a matter of fact when the Metros seem to themselves now start going at it with several of the fans. And what really got out of control was some of the fans following them more than just a couple of steps. And I know that several of the Fest staff had to get in and separate the Metros from the fans. I know at one point, um, commentator Rich Bocchini left the commentary booth. He rushed to the back alongside uh, the Metros. And, uh, I mean, it was just between that action and my concern over Kahuna Khan... I mean, this was this was riveting, but all but like you know, breathtaking at the same time. Yeah, the uh, the metros are definitely going to need a security detail when they come back to fest. Um, every single time that they've been here, they're getting into it with the fans, and this time I know that a couple of fans were spitting at them. A couple of them, like you said, were following them to the back and. Here's the thing about the metros. They don't need the protection. I mean, I, as you said, myself and a few of the other uh, crew jumped in to try and separate everything, and they're shoving us out of the way because they're ready to go at it with the fans themselves. So it's definitely a volatile situation with them. Uh, Kahuna, I don't know if you guys had checked out his Instagram page uh, or Fabulous Fitness, but he has – I mean, you could see the laces from the Metro Brothers boot – bruising along the side of his head still to this day Ouch! and we're now a week beyond the show wow that's crazy <laughs> that's that's so, uncalled yeah. for yeah um well obviously fabulous fitness knew going into this match they were gonna have to be tough to defeat the metro brothers but i think now they're starting to realize they're gonna have to be mean uh, as well so uh, no decisive winner here but hopefully we can get some sort of decisive victory, uh, maybe next Fest Wrestling show. We, we don't know. Nothing's booked yet as far as I know. Correct. Nothing as far as I know, but uh, this rivalry is definitely far from over. It's. I'm certain to spill outside of Fest. I'm certain that it's going to continue at Fest because these two teams legit do not like each other. And I don't even, I don't even want to try to imagine how it's going to end. Well, you know, if I were the Metros, I, you know, the security detail may be the best idea because I can only imagine that Fabulous Fitness is going to be at the absolute top of their game and as mean, probably meaner than they've ever been. And then a rather hostile fest crowd. Uh, the Metros are going to have it coming at them from all angles, especially if they find themselves uh, across the ring from each other again, which. I mean, I would say invariably they will well, because there is no clear finish to the match. You have to work something out because I tell you what, fighting this hard, fighting this passionately, both of these teams, arguably, whoever comes out on top in the end, definitely has an argument toward uh, contending for the championships, the tag team championships. Definitely. Um, I mean, again, these two teams on as it is, could be contenders. Right now, they're a little bit tied up with each other, and no matter what, the Fest fans will end up winning. Um, to your point, Fabulous Fitness always says that they're going to kick it into third gear, but if they're going to take on the Metros again, they need to kick it into fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever gear they can pull out 
because it's clear that the Metros are playing for keeps. They've got their sights set on destroying Fabulous Fitness and on getting championship gold. Fifth gear, sixth gear, Richard gear. Uh, speaking of Fest Wrestling Tag... Sorry, you're both nodding your head. No. Speaking of uh, <laughs> Fest Wrestling Tag Team Championship Gold, the Tag Team Championships were on the line. Grit with their manager, the Tommy Thomas, taking on the main event. And we talked about this in the pre-show going into Fest Wrestling Xmas in July 3. We don't know a whole lot about the main event. Darren, what were your thoughts? Um... I will say that the main event standing across the ring from grit and I do this. I, I am, I am always, I, I I'm loath to admit, but I judge books by their covers. And uh, I mean, I'm serious. The eyeball test is not eyeball test is not, and should not be the only test, but it is a test. The eyeball test is a pretty powerful litmus test when it comes to combat sports. Now, the little guy can always win. My, my Learning how to fight from my father coming up as a child, you know, my father told me, go for the knees. I don't care how big the other dude is. Take out his <laughs> knees, and that's it. My dad's a very dirty fighter. Clearly. My dad's clear. all about... L- low hey, blows. Poke the eye. Hit him with the oh, chair yeah. when he's not looking. He said all these things. Like, if, if the law only knew how many ears my father has bitten, they would put him under the jail. Um, so <laughs> is your father Mike Tyson? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I thought he looked familiar. Uh, but so the eyeball test, the eyeball test is a legitimate test. And, and, and looking at main event across the ring from grit. And I've said this before. I said it about the gymnasty boys. I said it about the ugly ducklings. No one looks, there's the keyword looks like they could beat grit yeah definitely um one thing that i do subconsciously when i'm preparing my cards for ring announcing is i do my own little tale of the tape in my head and i'm preparing this and here's grit at 630 pounds and here are the main event at 415 i think it is I mean, this is a three-on-two handicap match. They have an extra person between them to destroy the main event. And to the main event's credit, they knew the fight that they were getting into, and they took it to grid. I mean, there were a few times where I think everybody in that building, probably grit included, thought there were going to be new tag team champions. You're right. There was. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, here in my notes, I, I put that grit wins the match after dominating the match. But right in the middle, it's like right in the middle. There was a moment where grit maybe got a little too confident. Where grit believed their own hype. Where grit felt about grit the way I feel about grit, and so they completely dismissed what they were doing with the main event. And while it's very possible that Grit could have put the main event on their backs in the opening 60 seconds and legitimately won the match, the fact that they did read their own press clippings, toyed with the main event a little bit too long, and the main event never gave up, that all of a sudden there was this glimpse at a future where the main event were the tag team champions. Because they really fought back hard there briefly in the middle. 
And here's the thing about Grid, like you said, believing their own hype. There's a key difference to this match that compared to when they won the belts, compared to the entire uh, Love of the Battlefield tag tournament. They let me do my ring introductions. <laughs> um, it was one of those things where as soon as I, I mean, obviously I knew they were going to be on the card. But when I, when I see that I'm going to have to do a grit match, I know that I need to get out of Dodge because every match that they have had, they impose their will from before the bell even rings. And here they are standing in the ring, holding the belts in the air, smug as can be. And again, they have every right to be. They've run roughshod over Quest Wrestling, but they didn't feel the need to get that up, upper hand because they knew they had it in control. And the main event made them pay for it, almost costing them everything. That's actually a really interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. They're so uh, into their own hype all of a sudden that they're actually willing to let you do your job just so they can hear more good things about themselves. Uh, <laughs> At this point, wow, I think... God knows if I get it wrong, Tommy Thomas would tell me. <laughs> it does seem like uh, Grit kind of figured out, like, all we have to do is show up because we have this undefeated streak when it comes to Fest Wrestling. We have the Fest Tag Team titles. It seems like they don't need much more of a plan of attack than their plan just being attack. But... You, you have to remember that uh, the Tommy Thomas is also there calling the plays. He's their Phil Jackson, their Pat Riley. So even though you don't really need much of a plan, they still have one. And uh, that, that may have, they may have lost sight of that briefly there during that match, but clearly uh, they, remembered, uh, they remembered what was at stake. So smooth segue here. Um, they did lose sight of something during that match. Uh oh. Um, to be honest, we kind of all did. Grit takes the win, hitting that devastating choke slam power bomb combination, which I I feel bad for anybody. Like I could see myself laid up in a hospital bed if they did that to me. Um, they take the win, and we can't find the tag team championships to give them. Honestly, I still don't even know what happened. They were sitting on the table in front of me, and they disappeared. Uh, Grit lost their shit. Tommy was very belligerent, uh, calling myself and our social media correspondent, Amy Rose, pretty much any name that you could think of um, with the tag belts missing. The moment that Tommy Thomas looked at Amy Rose and the word streetwalker came out of his mouth. Wow. I was like, Classy this guy. is not pretty. This is not friendly. This is next level. And the amount of F-bombs that, that followed after that was shocking. Even for the a fest show, yeah, it was definitely one of those <laughs> things. And when he called Amy a streetwalker, I was not happy because I was standing between them and Amy looked like she was ready to kill him, which meant she would have killed me. Um, <laughs> but no, we we legit have no idea, had no idea what happened to the tag belts. Even then, I still don't know. Um, Tony Weinbender had to get in the ring and said, hey, let's go figure out what happened. And obviously before 
we could do that. Um, lights cut out, and we have a nice little video package from our friends, the Gymnasty Boys. And here they are standing outside of a van holding the Fest Tag Team titles. I, I don't know when they got them from us, but they did. A <laughs> <laughs> hundred camera phones and no one caught someone stealing two large uh, white and gold belts. No, it was some serious David Copperfield shit. Like where it was like <laughs> there was some there was some uh, what, what do they call it uh, misdirection, uh, and th- those those belts disappeared. Um, but I'll tell you, perhaps the pop of the evening was when Timmy Lou Retton and White Mike's faces popped up on that screen. Oh my God, that was it! Like that was the moment. That people were like, "Oh shit!" Because I know a topic, a topic for the past many months here on the whole Reffin Show, which Charles, you know, it's the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. Uh, we have been talking about, you know, basically WTF, Gymnasty Boys. Like, why? Why did they set themselves up? To, to not ever to the possibility of never coming back and then was were they never coming back what's the deal well the long and short of it is timmy lou Retton says they got the belts at this moment they want to challenge grit for the le- to, for the legitimate ownership of them because they want grit one more time why mike and timmy lou i don't know if they've got more balls or brains um, <laughs> probably balls. They, I mean, depending on the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, these guys, it was like you said, it was definitely one of those things where why would they set themselves up to possibly never return to fest and following them on social media? You see them taking these bookings everywhere else. You see them getting invited to the OWE United Kingdom tournament you see them doing all awesome. these massive things and you think and I'm thinking to myself I am never going to see them at Fest again and it's hard to think about the Gymnasty Boys not being a part of Fest and lo and behold they pull a fast one on everybody and I I would like to hope that they know what they are doing by getting involved with grit uh, similar to how we said you know Fab Fitness is going to have to kick it into fourth gear, the Gymnasty Boys are going to have to be nastier than ever. They're going to have to bring out a new side that none of us anywhere have seen if they want any chance of taking down Grit and reclaiming those titles. Well, it's hard to believe that a nastier side of the Gymnasty Boys exists, but I'm looking forward to uh, seeing it and or hearing all about it. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you speak of uh, the fact that Gymnasty Boys is not around Fest is very, uh, very unfest. And that, that's a good time to mention the fact that there's no Ugly Ducklings on this card, no Leon Scott, no Wolf Taylor, a lot of familiar folk, no Teddy Stigma, a lot of familiar folks not involved. And it's, it's kind of interesting that the, the landscape of Fest is, is changing. But at the same time, we now have so many, uh, so many personnel, so many wrestlers that have been on so many cards that they're becoming Fest favorites. Like, they're becoming just a bigger part of Fest as these other folks who are uh, conspicuously absent from this one. But I will say, when it comes to the Nasty Boys calling out Grit, B 
be careful what you wish for. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to bet against the gymnasties, but it's hard to bet against grit. He's a poker player, folks. He he knows about betting. <laughs> He's a betting man. I was literally playing poker until I called you, uh-huh. until I spoke with you guys. So uh-huh. <laughs> I called it. I caught right down the middle, baby. Uh, intermission. Uh, we came back from intermission, and I got to do something I've never done before. I got to host an interview. Um, we had a new visitor to Fest Wrestling, uh, Ken Kerbis. He is a name here around independent promotions in Florida. Um, handpicked by Billy Gunn to be a future star. He's the youngest Israeli wrestling champion and the first Israeli wrestler on uh, North American TV, so he's got a definite pedigree. That's pretty much as far as the interview went, unfortunately, uh, because we got interrupted. <laughs> oh, everybody's favorite douchebag, C.J. O'Doyle. <laughs> uh, I, I honestly was searching. I was trying to search for something that wasn't quite that gruesome. but That uh, wasn't that bad for C.J. O'Doyle. He's been called much worse. Well, he interrupts. Yeah, that was a compliment uh, to him. Really is. <laughs> he doesn't care what you think of him, that C.J. O'Doyle. So I guess hats off to him for that. But why got to be so mean, C.J.? Why got to be so mean? C.J., yeah, um, I definitely gave him an earful because this was, it was something new for me. And I was excited to do it. And I was excited to introduce Ken Kerbis to the Fest family because he's going to be joining us uh, next month. And CJ just decided that the show needed to be all about him, which is typical CJ. Typical. Um, But they got into a quick little uh, brawl with Ken taking him out, flying over the top rope, uh, which definitely caught me off guard standing there in the ring. Uh, Definitely (laughs) don't envy Frankie or Tony or Ref Lee with the work that they were doing. Um but it, it seems like those two might be on a collision course here in the near future with, with what happened. Well, if I'm Ken Kerbis, I definitely am on a collision course for CJ O'Doyle. Now. I mean, the dude shows up, you know, he's a friendly face. At least he has seemed to be anxious to endear himself and, and, and set, you know, set the stage for his appearance at a future, uh, fast show where he's actually going to be able to get out there and wrestle and then CJ just, I mean, he's a party pooper. He's just a party pooper. Nevertheless, uh, after that wicked flip by Kerbis, the uh, Fest family, w- I mean, they're here for it. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. So um, I think, you know, all, all you had to do was <laughs> prop him up against CJ O'Doyle and, uh, you know, He's, he's going to be loved. Yeah, again, it's one of those things where anybody going against CJ is probably going to be loved by the entire Fest family. Um, but CJ did nothing to endear himself, especially to the newcomer, Ken. And I'm excited to see what Ken Kerbis is going to bring to Fest Wrestling. And you have to admire CJ O'Doyle for showing up at a card that he's not booked at. And uh, just looking basically to, to interject himself in, in some uh, way, shape, or form. So hats off to wait, CJ. Wait, wait, wait. I got a question. Okay. Uh, was was CJ wearing his trunks? If he was, it was under his shorts or jeans or whatever. <laughs> I don't think he was. Oh, okay. Let's assume he seems he was. like the guy that's going to wear his tights everywhere, though. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. 
Like he he is the O'Doyle from uh, Billy Madison. Like he's ready to just rip his clothes off. O'Doyle rules. Right, right. <laughs> well, hopefully he avoids any banana peels that might uh, send him careening uh, <laughs> off a cliff. Anywho, uh, so forget about that jerk. Uh, we got some ladies action at Fest Wrestling, a fatal four way. Aria Blake is one part of this. Speaking of C.J. O'Doyle, the lady who put C.J. O'Doyle almost down for the count. I mean, barbed wire dildo uh, to the backside. (laughs) Aria Blake knows how to hit a guy where it hurts. Hit anywhere. Hit anyone of any gender where it hurts with a barbed wire dildo. Aria Blake is just one quarter, just 25% of this extraordinary all-women's match which also featured harlow o'hara making her fest wrestling debut the ultra violet making her fest wrestling debut and shotzi blackheart making her way back to hogtown wow this is a lot of uh this is a car crash of a match and it is a lot of ass kicking ladies kicking ass yeah it definitely was and um Early on in the match, uh, Arya unfortunately suffered a bit of an injury. Um, she was indisposed, I mean, from there on out. And it's, a, I mean, the three ladies that remain put on a hell of a match. You can only imagine how much more exciting and, uh, I mean, downright violent it would have been had Arya remained in. No, absolutely. Uh, and I'm going to say something. And again, in the spirit of well, here we are, we're 135 episodes in to the whole reference show. We always call it right down the middle. We, we don't lay it on thick. We don't bury people. But we do tell the truth because we call it right down the middle. I will say, and I'm not pointing the finger at anyone uh, in particular, but I will say that in the back of my mind, I thought some of what was happening in this match was a little sloppy. Um, and again, wrestling is not a dance. It's a fight. I don't like. I don't want it to be a choreographed uh, re- dance recital. I want it to be a fight. But but there's also you got to be able uh, to to fight again another day. Uh, every uh, any given match should not be anyone's last match unless they choose it to be. So you got to be careful. And there was just a little bit of sloppiness here that uh, I I can't say whether for sure or not that had anything to do with Arya's injury. But you see a match that might be a little sloppy, and you see an unfortunate injury, and you think to yourself, if we were all protecting ourselves a little bit better, um, or protecting one another a little bit better, again, so that you can live to to fight another day, um, that that is the optimal choice, and not simply uh, throwing caution to the wind. So having said that, again, in contrast to that, let, let me take just a moment to say just how incredibly uh, precise uh, and adept and like a finely made watch Shotzi Blackheart ticks in a wrestling ring. There is something extra coordinated about her movements that makes me uh, pretty much be mouth agape anytime Shotzi Blackheart is wrestling. Yeah, Shotzi is definitely one of those, it's so cliche, but once-in-a-lifetime talents. Um, and ever the world got to witness it with the Evolve special on the WWE Network. Um, 
when she did her best Serpentico impression, um, diving <laughs> into the chairs. Not the way you want to emulate Serpentico, by the way, Shotzi. I mean, in fairness, who wants to emulate Serpentico to begin with? Totally fair. Totally fair. <laughs> um, but no, she definitely... I mean, every time I see her, somehow she takes it to another level. She pulls out another facet of her game. And she definitely had the upper hand against all three ladies when Arya was still involved um, throughout the match. And then with Harlow and uh, Ultraviolet getting involved, they definitely had a little bit of an upper hand. Yeah, Shotzi, I will say, um, you know, all... all uh, not, not, not again. Not that I'm pointing sloppiness in the direction of Shotzi, but all sloppiness aside, the one thing this match had in terms of spectacle was speed, and that not just Shotzi, but everyone. This match moved at a pace that, uh, I mean, if you're a dog, your your tongue is wagging after this, uh, down to the damn floor because I couldn't believe the pace of this match. That's the best way to put it. I mean, it was chaos with all four of these ladies. They were nonstop. It's definitely one of those things where it's hard to keep keep up with the action from my point of view. Uh, I definitely did not envy the referee for having to keep up with that with all four of these ladies <laughs> uh, because they kept everybody on their toes with a series of near falls, uh, some coordinated, you know, Double team attacks. It was impressive. So Ultraviolet wins the match, and um, I I just don't know that much about her. I mean, Charles, can you uh, enlighten us a little bit, illuminate some on uh, Ultraviolet? Yeah, Ultraviolet, um, I had, was not that aware of her myself, honestly, until I found out she was joining us at Fest. Um, but from the New York area... She's definitely made a name for herself up there. And, I mean, with the debut like this, taking out Shotzi Blackheart, taking out Arya Blake, who's taken down, you know, CJ O'Doyle, uh, she's definitely made a name for herself. And, for, I mean, since we're on the topic of debuts here, everybody that debuted from Ultraviolet to Harlow to main event I'm excited to see them become regular names at Fest Wrestling, and I think the rest of the Fest family is too. Absolutely. Um, and good for Ultraviolet. I mean, especially, it's a Fatal 4-Way, so really anyone has a chance because anything can happen in a Fatal 4-Way. But to basically steal that from Fest favorite Arya Blake and Shotzi Blackheart, who's proven herself at Fest and, as you just mentioned, at Evolve 131 on the WWE Network, um, that, that's a pretty big win, I gotta say. So I am looking forward to seeing more uh, action from these ladies. I wish nothing but the best for uh, Arya Blake. I hope she has a speedy recovery and we see her again soon. And I hope we see all these ladies uh, again very soon. Shotzi Blackheart, I'm biased. She is one of my very favorite wrestlers. And so more Shotzi all the time. All, sh all Shotzi all the time. Let me say that. But next up is the penultimate match of the evening. Uh, the daddy who brought the groceries, the golden boy of grab ass, the feminist icon, Effie. The queer Tully Blanchard. Nice. That's right. Yes, I, I do like that one. For his, <laughs> for his own uh, promotion, the queer Tully Blanchard. Yeah, he likes That's that one. That's right. <laughs> and of course we mean 
Effie, former Fest Wrestling World Champion, in this uh, penultimate match of the evening, sub-main event, taking on Jordan Grace. Now, this match got a lot of eyes on it, um, both in Gainesville and outside of Gainesville. What a match. Um, I mean, every we all know Effie is daddy. Who knew that Jordan was mommy, uh, especially to, to this crowd? Um, I think my, my, my favorite moment of the entire day and night uh, at Xmas in July 3 was the moment in which the Fest family chanted, both these parents. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so Effie and Jordan, they start off, mommy and daddy, they start off the match with a pose off. And that was mighty fine posing. I mean, that's the best pose off I've seen since Billy and Chuck uh, with <laughs> Tori and Stacy. Absolutely. Uh, Effie's pose, I mean, Jordan, like, she's posing when she's standing still because she is a brick shithouse. Like, she is is carved from, she is muscle on muscle. But yeah. Effie, I mean, Effie went in. I mean, Effie studied, like, some old WBF tapes or something because <laughs> those poses were straight out of uh, muscle and fitness or, or even one of those weirder like creepier muscle magazines. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm sorry. What, what creepy muscle magazines are you referring to, Darren? Oh, there's creepy ones. Uh, you just, okay. You got to look on the back shelf. I was about to say the, the bottom rack, the bottom rack uh, <laughs> ones, yeah. Those are the ones that are wrapped in plastic at the, at the dollar store. Correct, correct. <laughs> at the dollar store? <laughs> <laughs> convenience store whatever <laughs> it's late we've been doing this for an hour come on <laughs> <laughs> i was like man they're not making much from their publication are they but anywho uh so jordan grace <laughs> and effie effie are in the ring together uh of course uh you know jo again i appreciate jordan for being the performer that she is she is a very good wrestler and she's obviously a power lifter you can just look at jordan and like you said darren flexing without flexing but, you know, definitely flexing when she's flexing as well. So it's obvious to see this woman's got some power. Um, but Effie, like, his uh, his physique has definitely changed uh, since we met him. He's he's looking more and more like a like a, a creative player wrestler on, like a, <laughs> like, a wrestling video game where he just has that build now. He's definitely put some muscle on. Uh, Effie, always the handsome fella, but uh, now he definitely has that, that wrestler body for sure. But, you know, Jordan Grace... We, I may have had some some things I'm not too happy about as far as, you know, her dislike for wrestling podcasts. To each his own. She's wrong completely. But, again, I, I do I do respect uh, the performer, the performance of Jordan Grace, because I am someone who calls it right down the middle. Thank you. Jordan is one of the people that I've wanted to see at Fest Wrestling for the longest time. And when I found out we were getting her, I was like, great, I can't wait to see what Tony, you know, what Tony Weinbender does for her. And then as soon as I hear that it's Jordan versus Effie, I shit myself because I was like, this <laughs> is, this has the potential to be the best match of the year. It has the potential to be the best match of Fest Wrestling history. This has the potential to piss off Jim Cornette. I mean, 
anything you can think of. And I I feel like it lived up to its hype. And yeah, the chant of both these uh both these parents, I died laughing over there at the timekeeper position. <laughs> Well, that was a great moment. To, 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 uh, uh, well, well to, to be fair, anything has the potential to piss off Jim Cornette, but fair, fair. Well, actually, I'm glad I'm glad that you said that, Perry, because that if Jim Cornette is pissed off about this match, then he's just lost his mind. Because uh, if Jim Cornette appreciates anything about wrestling, it's when wrestling is at its most real, or wrestling seems like a fight. And that's what I was going to say about this match. I mean, you know, Effie is a and he is the hash, hashtag best friend of the show, um, and I'm extremely biased. He is my two years in a row favorite wrestler of the year. So of course I'm biased, uh, but so 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 I can say this and and get away with it. Effie is a lot of Gaga, but when that Gaga stops. And they go at it. This is not a wrestling match. There might have been some wrestling holds and maneuvers. This is a fight. This was not so friendly. It might have started off a, a little tongue-in-cheek. But they beat each other's ass. I remember when Effie released his promo for this match and Jordan said, I'm going to make someone wear your jacket and body slam them on you. And damned if she didn't live up to that. She body slammed, what, I think two people onto Effie. And then puts the jacket on a fan and body slams them onto Effie. And, I mean, they went at it. Effie hit a couple of amazing moves, even locked in his drag queen sleeper at one point uh, with Jordan able to get the break on it. Um, drag queen sleeper. Yes. Yes. That's hilarious. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> but it's one of those. Uh, it. Definitely, I think Effie may have lost sight of it, and I don't know what happened. Uh, at one point, he was forcing Jordan Grace to choke him. Yeah. And she was trying to pull away, and Effie was forcing her hand to stay on her throat. Um, I think Jordan even said on Twitter that he said, choke me harder, muscle mommy. Sounds about right. Um, so I don't know if Effie just got lost in that moment and was just enjoying what was going on. I don't, but uh, it allowed Jordan to pick up the win. Uh, they definitely, that's a match that I would not mind watching over and over again. I, 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 I think I think we've all said choke me harder, muscle mommy at one point in our lives, to be fair. Uh, yeah, what were you saying? I said it earlier today. <laughs> I think I think one time I said choke me harder muscle milk, but that was just because it was hard to swallow. <laughs> so, so what is that? What is that wicked like power bomb of Jordan's? I Turns mean, him in, about, inside out into almost like a Michinoku driver. It's definitely a display of her strength. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I mean to especially for some like you said, Effie has leaned up. He's cut a little bit of weight, but he's still, you know, 260, 270 pounds. Oh, sure. And Jordan was ragdolling him during that match. And even there at the end, after wrestling for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, picking him up, dropping him square on the back of his head and getting the one, two, three. And I will say though, that that could, that was not the most painful thing uh, because I've accidentally like, 
I don't know, stupidly went to pat Effie on the back uh, when he got that new jacket, and I impaled myself on those spikes that are on that new purple jacket. So I, when she puts the jacket on a fan and then body slams them onto Effie, I don't know how he was not stabbed to death. Uh, <laughs> but I, that was an ugly, ugly move. All right, that leaves us with only the main event of the evening. From Gainesville, Florida, Christmas in July 3, the best wrestling world champion, Saeed Al-Sabah, takes on Simon Grimm. And, I, I mean, like, let, let, me, let me say this first. This match, without getting into specifics, just overall, this match had this feeling to it. It had a feeling that I hadn't really maybe ever felt in Fest. Um, not because Fest was lacking this or anything. It just felt new and different. I don't know, like the best competition from everywhere kind of feel. Like less of an insular, like best of Fest and more like a take on all challengers, like a Thunderdome style, sort of like Tony Weinbender's like, this is my champion and I realize that Simon Grimm has been in Fest before, but he just, he still seems like somewhat of an outsider. And for him to come in and challenge for the belt is sort of like bringing somebody in from another company. And that had a really fun feel to it. Yeah, to Simon's credit, I mean, for, I don't want to say as little as he's been with us, because as he's been, I think, four or five shows with Fest now. Um, but it's one of those things where every time he comes in, he's been so dominating in his performances. Uh, he won a key triple th threat. I think it was back at We Are Family, um, taking on Serpentico and getting the win. Uh, every time he's come in here, he's definitely owned his matches. And then he disappears for a month or two. And I don't know if that was him trying to maybe leverage the title match. I remember seeing him cutting a, a promo about that. Um, but he definitely had a little bit of that outsider field that you're referring to. And then you've got Saeed defending our honor uh, as he has so many times before. No, for sure. And that and that was that's like a that's a really interesting feeling. Like I'm so, our, our listeners know this, I'm so um, preoccupied even with sense memory and uh, and, tr and certain triggers. And a couple of minutes into this match, Simon Grimm's otherness, his outsider feel versus Saeed, the champion, like you said, Charles, defending our honor, all of a sudden it gave me this bigger than that night bigger than that show, bigger than Fest. Like, the entire industry of wrestling was on the line, and it was like these two men are fighting. It was like just like giants, titans, and it just felt so extra special, like uh, poking, like the first, like peeking behind the curtain watching Hitman Heart wrestling with shadows, or like going to my first ever NWA show in 1989, like, all of a sudden, this match felt so super important. And it, it felt and it stayed that way. The whole match, I was just like, 
um, just like gobsmacked, if you will. Not godsmacked, but <laughs> gobsmacked. Well, thank goodness. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Simon, again, every time he's been here, he's been dominant. He's been this menacing force in his matches, but there, this was the theme of the night. He was taking it to another level. Every time he was beating on Saeev, when he put Saeev through the half of the door that remained from the Metros and uh, Fab Fitness, he wasn't trying to take down Saeev. It felt like he was trying to take down Fest Wrestling. He was trying to make it into his vision by claiming our championship. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but there was definitely that that aura around the entire around him all night. Sure. And like not only using like the door, but using like he he essentially waterboarded Saif. Uh yeah. placing the, the towel over his face and then drenching it with water. Um the desperation on Saif's face when he came out from underneath that hand towel was viscerally disturbing. I actually I think that was one of Saeev's t-shirts from his merchandise table. Oh, so almost a little shit. bit of insult to injury with the uh, waterboarding there. You talk about fucking with someone's head. Let me kill you by smothering you with your merchandise. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely sending a message to Saeev Al-Sabah for sure. Um, well, the unfortunate thing with Simon Grimm, and we, we've talked about this before. We maybe even brought this up on the uh, preview show going into Xmas 3. Uh, Simon, people like Simon Grimm, Leva Bates, um, people who have been in quote the big leagues, you know what I mean, from WWE, from NXT, and they kind of come back down to the Indies. People assume they're handed everything, and you you know someone like Simon Grimm just hates that, and he wants to basically just show you that he earns everything he gets. So I think him earning that Fest Championship in this case by beating Saeed Al Sabah your Fest Wrestling Champion. He really wanted to make that clear-cut message to all the Fest faithful, to everyone out in indie wrestling, like, no, I earn what I get, and I keep what I kill. And he was looking, apparently, to kill Saeev Al-Sabah. Yeah, the thing with uh, and some of his fighting style, just the style, he took such a vast array of stylistic approaches to dismantling Saeev as well. And I think maybe that, ha- I mean, we know, I know we've heard Simon Grimm talk about in the past some of his MMA influence, but I think some of uh, some of this time spent around filthy Tom Lawler in MLW, um, that you're seeing not only some MMA influence out of Simon Grimm, but even some other like uh, standard Eastern martial arts maneuvering. Well, you start whipping all of those different styles out in a single fight, your opponent can't help but be kind of thrown off and uh, i think that that's that there was a lot of of of, uh of of mental treachery there as well so i'll agree with you to an extent um i think that there's too much of a good thing and when you're trying to blend in 15 different styles of fighting no matter how good you may be you're going to mess up on one of them. You're going to mess up somewhere along the line. And when you're fighting somebody as gritty as Saeed, someone that we've seen be 
pushed to his limits countless times before, be it the Fatal 4-Way or one-on-one versus Serpentico or Pickle in the Tree, he's going to capitalize on that one mistake. And so personally, you know, I get wanting to use multiple uh, variations, multiple attacks, but stick to what's working. He was putting him down with the gr- with the physicality, tossing him around. I think he should have stuck with that for his bread and butter to focus the attack a little more. Well, it might go back to what I was saying about him trying to prove a point. Maybe he's trying to show, like, I've got ground game. You know, I've got uh, got some high flying in me. I've got some power. I've got this. I can do that, you know. Um, but it seems like he, he had multiple game plans when he should have just stuck to one. Uh, Saif probably did stick to one, which is probably why Saif is still your best wrestling champion. And I love Saif to death, but I've got to question the win. I mean, he got the win in a little bit of a underhanded way. He got the ref distracted and kicked Simon Square in the dick. And then capitalized by hitting his that that blockbuster. But I mean, I I don't know if it's just desperation because of how much Simon had been beating on him. I don't know if maybe Saeed didn't think he could beat Simon. There's I have a lot of questions as to what's going through Saeed's head. You know that last question actually is kind of a uh, that's kind of a disconcerting one to uh, Fest Faithful and to a fan of Saeev, did Saeev actually think he couldn't win? I mean, is that... Desperation is one thing. We all act uh, strangely in moments of desperation, but did he actually stop and have clarity of thought and actually choose to go that route because he saw no other viable alternative? That... That's kind of upsetting. I mean, it, it's a it's a combat sport. They're fighting. You fight to win, and you win by fighting. Uh, it's it's a survival mechanism. But we also hold these people to to a crazy high standard. That's what baby faces in pro wrestling get held to. Um, so desperation, strategy, whatever the reason, when they act out of character or seemingly out of character. Uh, we start to, to to shake our, you know, wag our finger at them and say, no, no, I don't like it. So uh, I, I, I'm with you. Those are a lot of interesting questions, and I'd like to have some answers. Yeah, hopefully we'll get them sooner rather than later. Um, I just, I can't get that image out of my head of Saeed just kicking him low and taking that opportunity it hurts to try my head to try and think about what could have been going through his head to do that. But like I said, like you said, hopefully we get those answers soon. Well, I mean, when it, when you look back at the, uh, the record books, it's just going to say Saeed Al-Sabah, your winner uh, at Exodus in July three, uh, an underhanded win. There you go. Underhand win or not is still a win. Uh, so Saeed is still your champion. Again, I, I don't think I would have been ready for Simon Grimm to take over, uh, to become the new captain of the ship. I'm glad Saeev still got it, uh, and Saeev we trust. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to the future and seeing who Tony Weinbender is going to bring uh, for Saeev next. Uh, looking forward to 
Looking forward to any and all Fest Wrestling coming down the turnpike. When's the next Fest Wrestling show? Next Fest Wrestling show, we have our three-year anniversary bash on September uh, 8th. Crazy. September 8th. Sunday, September 8th. Nice. Very nice. And, uh, of course, we all look forward to that. Man, I, <laughs> I I hate the I always hate the gap between Fest Wrestling shows. This one doesn't seem quite as bad as the last one. No, hell no. The last gap was almost three months. Well, there you go. Almost, this one's basically a little over a month, which is awesome. Oh, that's, that's... yeah. But then we got to go back to that delay because after that, uh, we're off until we are family November third. So. Wow, yeah. <laughs> if I have one gripe about Fest Wrestling is there isn't enough Fest Wrestling, but uh, we do appreciate it, and we appreciate you, sweet Charles Volkert. Thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, tell our hashtag dear listeners how they can uh, get to you on social media. Uh, plain and simple, you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at crvolkert, V-O-L-K-E-R-T, the number two. And you're going to see a variety of things. You'll see my wrestling adventures. You'll see, as you mentioned, my poker adventures. You'll see why I'm so fat, because I like to cook in the kitchen. Um, (laughs) It's definitely a a hodgepodge going on there. But please take the time to follow me there. And we will uh, definitely have some fun. Awesome. Very nice. So you might be Charles Volkert, too, on social media. But you're number one in our hearts, Charles. You know that. And uh, we do appreciate you stopping by once again. And uh, that is all. We'll talk to you soon, hopefully before the next Fest Wrestling Show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been an honor, and I can't wait to do it again. Ah, yes, Charles. Sweet Charles. Nice to have him on the show. Good man. Uh, Plenty of things to say about Fest Wrestling. And, uh, again, it's always nice to have another another eyewitness account of of the action that goes on at Fest Wrestling. There's so much uh, action to keep an eye on, so Darren can't always do it all on his lonesome. No, I really can't, and uh, especially, uh, I, apparently I looked like I was asleep at some point, um, and so <laughs> I promise that I wasn't, but um, no, it is hard to keep an eye on everything. I tried to go for the bird's eye view this time, sitting in the balcony, um, but you, you really can't see it. Hell, nobody saw the Gymnasty Boys steal Grit's belts. It's true. So, it's true. So someone was someone was sleeping because they totally missed uh, gymnasties or a a, a gymnastyite come in and sneak away with them uh, them tag team title belts. So, but uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, Darren's as well as Charles' uh, recounting of what went down at Xmas in July three. Again, it should have been Triple Xmas in July, but that's okay. Did you enjoy the tales from Xmas three? Let us know. There are a lot of ways you can let us know. Find us on Twitter at Ref and Show Podcast. That's R E F N S H O W P O D C A S T. Find us on Facebook. Like and share. We would appreciate that. If you want to, you can even send us a Gmail. The whole Ref and Show at gmail.com. T H E W H O L E R E F N S H O W at gmail.com. Or, or you can follow us on Instagram. Instagram is a great way to connect with the whole Ref and Show. Hell, Bill Alfonso decided to follow us on Instagram today. So, I mean, (laughs) hey, if it's good enough for Fonzie, it's good enough for you. And uh, Instagram really is, uh, I mean, I like Instagram, period. But, like, uh, it's a cool place to follow the whole Refn Show. Uh, So follow us on there. We are on Instagram as The Whole Refn Show. T-H-E, 
W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W. That's right. People have trouble with the refin part. They don't know if it's R-E-F-I-N or, uh, in hindsight, maybe the show should have been named something else. But I think people should just pay more attention is what that is. Uh, yeah, it's everybody else's problem, not ours. I like it. Well, yeah, that would be all fine and good if it didn't mean that their problem became our problem. It's not a problem. If you're listening, you know it's R-E-F-N. That's right. You know, you know what time it is, baby. And it is time for us to leave you, folks. That's right. We've, we've come to that point of the show, episode 135, where we must bid you a very fond farewell. But you know what? We're going to catch you next week on the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. That would have to be the whole reference show. By the way, in case you forgot, my name is Perry Smith. And I know that you would never forget that I am the incredible badass that is Darren Beeson. And we appreciate you stopping by, folks. We're going to see you again. Until then, so long. Bye-bye.